Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and the Eagles are on to the next as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 162. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell to discuss what we saw from the Eagles in their last second win over the Chicago Bears. How did the team shut down Khalil Mack and Tariq Cohen? Find out in the next 30 minutes or so as we set the table for this team's divisional round matchup against the New Orleans Saints. Next up, we will transition to my scouting report where I'll go through my notes on wide receiver Michael Thomas coming out of Ohio State a couple years ago and why he was one of my biggest misses in that draft class. But before we get into that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Costell this week to discuss the Eagles, the win over the Bears, and how they will match up against New Orleans in the divisional round. Let's get to that chat right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Happy to be joined once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg, welcome back to Novacare Complex, 24 hours fresh off the victory for the My Eagles. My home away from home. That's exactly right. Yeah. The, this season, especially the Eagles over the Chicago Bears. A, a great game. It was a really fun game to watch. I know it wasn't incredibly high scoring, but it was a very fun, entertaining game. And very compelling, yes, clearly. very the much The fourth so. qu- quarter became... Very intriguing, very exciting, very compelling football. Yeah, you look at let's start on offense because uh, you know, look, they only scored 16 points in this game, but uh, a really solid performance against an outstanding yeah. Chicago Bears defense. Well, I'll tell you, and, and I noticed this yesterday, and we were kind of mentioning it watching the game live, but then going through the tape and, and charting it and taking notes. This was a different offense in terms of personnel from the previous three games with Nick Foles. This was an offense that uh, featured 11 personnel. Large percent of the time. Large percent of the time. Um, 63%. Yes, that is correct. And Nick Foles was very efficient out of 11 personnel. They couldn't run the ball at all out of 11 personnel. Yeah. They had 13 rushes for 16 yards. And normally, if you if we said that going into this game, Fran, that that would be their running game. And obviously, they had a few more runs, but they certainly didn't run the ball well. Out of 11, yeah. And out of 11, they sure. were terrible. Right. Uh, we probably would have said that it would have been tough to win, but again, we'll get to it, but it was a function of their defense as well because 16 points, I'm not sure we would have felt that that would have won this game, but it did win the game. It did win the game, and you look at the way that this pass game was constructed. Once again, uh, the the fundamental, I guess, element of this pass game under Nick Foles is that ball's out. The ball's out. Even on vertical throws, ball's out. Right, if it's a right. fade, ball's coming out quick. Yeah, there's not true vertical throws. Yeah. Their fade is not a true vertical exactly, throw. Right. Uh, so there's not true vertical. I'm sure they're in the pass game, obviously. You know, we've seen a few. Uh, obviously, Nick checked to one against Houston for the long touchdown to Nelson Aguilar. But this pass game at its core does not feature vertical throws. Yeah. The one thing, uh, you know, you talk about the, the run game. 
he was, they did fe- feature a good amount of play action. They had 11 play action plays. He was sacked once off play action. Right. He was 6 of 10 overall on play action. There were the one that really stood out to me, and we actually had Doug Peterson break the play down uh, on the show this week, was the completion to Alshon Jeffrey on the three-level stretch on that deep crossing route. Uh, I thought it was a really good touch pass from Nick Foles. He had pressure coming yep. in his face from Danny Trevathan, and he put the ball right on the money, threw to a spot, let Alshon go get it. Yeah, was that first down? Did that start? I want to say that was first down, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a post-cross combination. That's exactly it's, right. It's what it's in everybody's playbook in the NFL. Yep. You do it with play action because you want to make sure that the linebackers are not part of it. Particularly, you tend to do it on first down, and I believe it was first down, although I could be wrong, but you do it on first down because in those situations you often get a single high safety coverage. Mm-hmm. And a post-cross is... That's the way you draw it up. You want single high safety. You want single high safety. You're attacking that single high safety. Right. Nelson Aguilar was stretching the field yep. vertically. Uh, the unsung hero, I thought, on the play was Dallas Goddard, who did an outstanding job in protection. The, the linebacker, Trevathan, had looped opposite of the way that he I was I remember, yes, yes. And he peeled off of his assignment yes. and threw a chicken wing all, all on the linebacker. And that's all you needed. That's, that's, that's all, all you needed. It helped Nick Foles deliver that yeah. football. Yeah. And Nick obviously read the coverage because he threw you know pretty much an infield fly, but he knew what the coverage was, and he knew it wouldn't be an issue. That's right. He had a couple of those touch throws in this yeah. game. Obviously, he had the one uh, the, the one against two-man to Golden Tate over the middle of the field. Yeah, which, which I, I wasn't so sure he should have thrown that one with the arc that he did. Yeah, I, think he, he, I think he got lucky there. Hung up there a little bit. Yes. The Golden Tate, ridiculous catch yes. after dropping one that was kind yeah. of similar yeah. last week against Washington. Uh, to see him pull down that catch was pretty good. No question, and and uh, you know that's one. I'm sure if you're a Bears fan, that's one where Bears fans are saying, "God, we missed Eddie Jackson." Right. That's you a good know. Point. That's a good point. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, third down, very efficient once again. Very Se- efficient. Seven of ten on third down passing. He had five first downs through the air uh, in this game. Again, it's just about getting. We talked last week about neutralizing the Chicago pass rush. Right. When you get the ball out quickly, that's one way. To They've do neutralized that. pass rushes. Uh, ever since Nick's come in, I mean, I don't think Aaron Donald had a sack. I don't think Watt or Clowney had a sack. I think Clowney had a, Clowney had a sack. Clowney but Watt, did. Watt, Watt did not. Watt did not. Yeah, but to hold Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack, and J.J. Watt right. without a sack in three out of four weeks is pretty good. And, and I mean, let's give credit, obviously, to the to the O-line as well. Yes. But I think that the, the structure of the offense and the design of the offense has really helped because the ball gets out. Yeah. Was there anything from a protection standpoint that you noticed? Like, uh, for, They slid honestly, to Mac quite a bit. They did, yeah. They mixed things up. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there were times also there they slid well. to Mac and also had a back or a tight end on the same exactly, side. Exactly, right. So they, they clearly were concerned about Khalil Mack, as yeah. they should have been. No question. And then they had a few screens in there as yep. well. Four, four screen plays, all of them hit. Uh, the big one to Smallwood, you and I broke down on that opening drive, helped set them up for Which a I found ball. to be a fascinating play call. And and it worked perfectly because they ended up getting a two-man coverage on that play, yep. I believe, which was the second play of the game. And the Bears were not really a man team. so they played a decent amount of two-man. Yeah, game. they did. Yeah, they, they did in this game, which was really interesting to me. And I'm always fascinated by that. Look, you can call a screen against man or zone. It happened to be man, and I always wonder if they anticipated man because obviously it worked perfectly against the man coverage. Sure. But – 
it, it could have been called, you know, just hey, we're calling a screen and whatever the coverage is, it is. And then the, of the four that I, I'm referring to, I don't. That's not even counting the one to uh, Dallas Goddard on the final drive. That little triples. It wasn't necessarily the a middle screen, screen, but it's a, yeah. a, a triple middle screen. Yeah, that, a really awesome play uh, to get him going. And obviously the it's play, play made after the catch yeah. is great. It's play design. Yeah, I mean that's, that's what the Eagles. The Eagles have been so good with play design because in order to run this kind of offense and be efficient where the ball consistently comes out like that, you need to present to the quarterback open receivers Yep. because otherwise he can't throw the ball within the, the timing that you would want. Yeah. And that's the way this offense has been. Yeah, I think really that when you talk about execution and the way that Foles kind of operated the offense yesterday, the big thing that stood out to me, especially on third down, I thought he did a really good job of finding the matchups, you know, they're getting away from where they may have had extra help. You right. mentioned two-man, you know, mentioned some of the times where they were trying to take something away, whether it was right. Alshon or Ertz, just finding those one-on-ones, finding the quick throw underneath, uh, and then, the, you know, those guys helped him out and made some plays after the catch. No question. But, uh, and, you know, and I think that that's the key. That's really been the key to their offense. I think in the four games that Nick has started, not counting the first two at the beginning of the season, of course. I think he's 32 for 42 on third down. And I think that uh, 22 of them have been conversions. Yeah, so you're talking over 50% conversion on third down through the air. Correct. Which is pretty good. You take that every day of the week. Exactly right. So, um, all right, before we talk about the offense matching up with New Orleans, let's talk about the defense, which was outstanding. I I wanted to make sure I broke down the defense first on my Eagle Eye in the Sky articles this week just because of how impressive they were on that side of the football. They needed to have a dominant game, and they came through. Yeah, and uh, I tell you what really stood out to me was how much dime they played. A lot. Trey yep. Sullivan played more snaps in this game. I mean, going back to Week 12, he's been playing an awful lot of snaps, but I believe he played close to 50 snaps in this game. Dime. They were in dime 64% of the right. time. Right, and I mean, in the second half, and don't forget we had a close game. Yeah, in the right. second half, they pretty much were playing dime on almost every snap. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. They, played, uh, they played 64 snaps. They were in dime, 41 of them. They were in nickel, 18 of them, and base, just five snaps. Right. So it gives you the, the, uh, the disparity there in terms of the – Can the I just say, add one thing about the yeah. offense before we yeah, jump in? Yeah, definitely. Because I think we might see this going forward. Okay, what do you got? Josh Adams played one snap. Yeah. Darren Sproles played 38. Yep. Smallwood played 28, I believe. Yep. I wouldn't surprise me if that's, if that's how the, it looks. If that's how it is on Sunday in New Orleans either. And even the when they went for two – I like to have Wendell in that. Right. The guys they have, like the, you know, having Wendell carry right. that play out makes a lot of sense. So just anyway, I thought that was an important point to make as we go forward. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, look at Josh Adams' size and say like, "Oh, he should be in there short yardage." Well, he's not he a has, power runner, and he has not been. A, he has not been an effective short yardage no, back all no. season. Well, he's not that kind of runner, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, so d- defense personnel, ton of dime. So we saw a lot of the package where you know you had uh, three safeties on the field with three corners. That's the three what corners. The, their dime is. Yeah, that's it. So you had uh, you know Razul Douglas, Avante Maddox, and Cravon LeBlanc with uh, Malcolm Jenkins, Corey Graham, and Trey Sullivan, and that that was that was the personnel group, especially like you said in the second half. That was what we saw from the majority of the time. Almost every play in the second half. All right, so and, defensively, third down, uh, also yeah. excellent. Five of sixteen on third down it was a right. big time. No, they, they played well. Um, and it was funny because watching the tape, and I don't know what you felt, I didn't feel like they were getting you know consistent pressure on Mitchell Trubisky like they were, you know, he was throwing out of a hole or a cave. You know what stood out to me, though? I thought they were very disciplined with their rush lanes yeah. in this game. Where more so, you know, we, we've look, I went back, I was looking at the numbers. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, 
Marcus Mariota, Blake Bortles, they all ran for 40 plus. Yeah, and Trubisky really, and again, what we don't know is if Trubisky, how he felt with that injury. Yeah, we don't the know the answer to that. Sure. But certainly Trubisky didn't really hurt them with his with his legs. No, I, I thought that they were very, very disciplined yeah. up front in, yeah. their, in their rush lanes. There were a couple where he looked to escape. I remember the one, uh, Tim Jernigan and Brandon Graham both kind of collapsed on right, him as he tried right. to escape the pocket. Uh, you know, those guys I thought did a really good job not getting deeper than the quarterback, keeping everything in front, making sure that they were disciplined. No one got out of their gap. I thought that they were very, very good there. And then uh, Nigel Bradham was used as a spy a handful of times, yes. especially on third down. The other thing that really stood out to me, I don't think they blitzed until the final yeah, drive where they, right. went, where they went uh, zero. zero twice yep. on the completion and then right. on the, the play right before the field goal attempt. Yeah. I don't think they had a five-man, well, a true five-man rush. There were a couple of times Bradham was, in a sp- was spying and then he, and then, right, and yeah. then he added in, off, but sure. he was not, that was not a called blitz. Yep. No, I, I, so I don't believe they had a called blitz until those two zero blitzes on the literally the final two of three, uh, two of the final three plays. Yeah, and you mentioned Bradham. I thought he was outstanding yeah. in the game. Whether it was run game, pass yep. game, uh, he did an outstanding job. He was used as a spy, made some plays in coverage, had a critical pass breakup on third down. Another one that you and I broke down where he forced Trubisky out of the pocket right, right, and then right. forced an incompletion. Uh, a couple of plays where he defeated blocks with his play recognition skills playing downhill. He played every snap, if I remember, if I can recall, and he, he was did play he every was, snap. He was outstanding in the game. Yeah, he, he played a really good game. And they're going to need him to kind of come back through with uh, another, yes, another yes, one here in this yes. one. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Fletcher Cox, stout as always. I mean, he was he was very very disruptive up front. Uh, those guys were really really good. And the 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 play that I was really really impressed with was the two point play, where they gave the ball to Taylor Gabriel. On oh the, yes, on the jet, yeah, on the yeah. jet. So they have Cleo Mack in the game. They put yeah, him in the backfield, and, right? And they, well, then he motions left. out or shifts out to yep. the left. Yeah. Right away, as soon as Mac goes left, you can see at the top of the screen, Jenkins and Bennett both on the same page. Jenkins is kind of giving him the you know giving him the hootie hoo, kind of motioning him out, and Bennett slides outside and he avoids all of those blockers there. So that when the ball goes to Gabriel, Bennett gets into the backfield. He's the guy who forced Gabriel the bat- to in cut back inside. Yeah, it was beautiful, and he yeah. cuts him into three defenders. Yeah. and they stop yeah. him, and obviously. I mean, two points would have made that, a big that, difference. Uh, in the game. Yeah, I, I guess that was a factor. That was a huge factor yeah, in the game. Yeah. So, you know, uh, kudos there to Michael Bennett for sure. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anybody else from an individual standpoint up front that really stood out to me. The guy on the back end, who, look, I mean, he came in midseason and, you know, and really kind of no one really knew who he was, you know, from a fan standpoint. I know most of the local media didn't really know. You and I have been aware of this kid for a few years. Uh, Craven LeBlanc really stood out in this game. I thought, you, you know, whether it was the uh, helping out on that one jet sweep play where right. uh, you know Jordan Hicks came down and made the tackle on the flat. That play was created by LeBlanc, or the two plays that he made downfield in coverage. I thought he was really, really competitive and feisty. The, a lot of the things that we've seen from him all season long uh, really showed up in this game against his former team. No question, uh, and I think that that was critical in this game because I think a lot of people going into this game, uh, and I know the Bears felt this way would have believed that, hey, Anthony Miller's going to have a big game yeah. because it's LeBlanc. Yep. And, you know, it didn't quite work out that way. No. They, they held the the, uh, the Bears 0 for 3 in the red zone, yeah. which was huge. I Critical. Mean, yeah, big time. So uh, let's get into this matchup now. 
Because this is uh, obviously, look, the last time, like you said, um, you know, not not the Eagles' finest hour. No, no, uh, and on both sides of the ball, by right. the way. Right, it wasn't right. it wasn't just one, right. but it was it was yes, it was uh, a complete team effort in the loss uh, down there in New Orleans last time. So, Started on the first play of the game. It did uh, when it, Ingram ran thirty-eight yards. Mark Ingram ran thirty-eight yards. And that's the thing I think when you look at the Saints' offense is that they've got the ability to beat you in a lot of different ways. You know, they will try and ground you out. This is not just pass first, pass first, pass first. Their fourth most in run percentage in the league. They want to run. They do They haven't run. done it at run as well overall this year as they did a year ago. Right, yes. But they want to run the ball. Yeah, and Mark Ingram is kind of the hammer. Yeah. Kamara will get his runs here and there, but I think he's only had one explosive run play. He it has. Was like week three or week four this year. But I think he still had about 190 rush, you know, rushing attempts this year. Yeah, I mean, they, they give, give him, him the ball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so they're, they're going to try and run the football. The Eagles have to be ready for that, especially the success they had uh, the last time these two teams met. Be ready for Mark Ingram on those, you know, between the tackles or even on those perimeter runs as well. He still has enough juice to get to the corner. But pass game, obviously, a lot of mismatches here uh, or that, you know, that they're able to find on a week-to-week basis. And it really, it starts with those two guys. It's Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. Well, it really starts with Drew Brees. Well, of course, <laughs> it starts with Drew Brees, but we're talking matches right, standpoint right. on the perimeter. Well, what the Saints are really good at, they're a very much a personnel and formation-based offense. Yep. And they're also very good as a tempo offense. When I say tempo, I don't mean hurry up, but I mean Breeze is very good at controlling when the ball gets snapped. Mm. He's a master at that. So those are the three things you have to be concerned with, personnel, formation, and tempo. So tell, tell us why exactly is that a problem for defenses? Well... Personnel, number one, is always the first thing that a defensive coordinator is concerned about because how are you going to match up to specific personnel packages? You know, it always seems easy. Oh, if they have three wide receivers, we go 11. That's easy when it's, you know, third down. Yep. Okay, so now let's say they line up with two tight ends. Uh, Who are those tight ends? They've got a lot of tight ends. Let's say they line up with Kamara and Ingram in the game at the same time, which they do on meaningful snaps. How do you treat Taysom Hill? Yep. What is he? Is he a wide receiver? Is he a back? So you have to you this is all done in game planning in advance. Yeah, this, this is, is all not, being done right now. Right, right. This is not one of those things where when it happens you go, Oh my God, what do we do? Yep. But you still have to have a plan for all of this because the last thing you want to have happen in games like this is twelve men on the field or a guy's just not ready because you're uncertain as to where, you know, am I dealing with that guy as a wide receiver or a back? Or I don't know. What what you know sure. those you can't have those kinds of those are mental mistakes. You can't have those. Yep. Then formation. Formation is critical. And this is a team that is so formation diverse out of all personnel packages. Mm. You know, we talk a lot about receiver distribution and location. The concept being that distribution means the number of receivers to each side of the formation. Location means what receivers are to each side. And that changes the way you play. I can remember a play against the Washington Redskins this year where Thomas caught a 20-yard pass and they were in three tight ends and I believe he motioned across or or a tight end tight end motioned across the formation mm. and Thomas went from being in the slot to the inside slot and he then ran his route against the linebacker yep. because with three tight ends on the field the Redskins were in base sure. as I imagine the Eagles would be versus three tight ends so you create a matchup based on formation shifting, motion, and all of a sudden you've got Michael Thomas running an in-breaking route against a linebacker. Yep. So, you know, these are all things you have to be aware of. And then I mentioned Drew Brees and his ability to control sort of defensive communication and movement with tempo. 
because if he sees that you're communicating, he snaps the ball. Yep. Yeah, I think the the one thing you and I talked about, I know last time uh, we were previewing this matchup back early in the season, you know, they're very good to the boundary. And the big thing that you, when you see oh, to the yeah. boundary is, you know, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara lined up there. And really the big thing that you get caught with is one of two things. You have problems from a man coverage standpoint because – all right, you have Kamara typically when they line up that way, Kamara out wide. So if you're going to put a linebacker out there or whatever, you have to figure out, okay, you have your linebacker playing outside the numbers on an island against a, a dynamic athlete. What, do we feel confident in this? Or you're in zone and you've got Michael Thomas working inside, inside in the inside, boundary inside, slot. You know, and still, right. Even though it's zone, still working against linebackers and safeties in the middle of the field. Correct. Uh, so that it presents a number of issues. Because they there. normally do that on the backside of trips and and there's three receivers to the other side. Yep. So, that, so from a... a uh, distribution of the defensive standpoint, right? You know, if you're playing in coverage and you, typically your nickel corner is going to line to the passing strength. If you've got three receivers to one side, that's, that's the you, passing strength. Correct. So even though it's Kamara and and right. uh, Michael Thomas over on the back side, your nickel corner is still going to slide over to the, the three receiver side, and that leaves you with a linebacker on the back side. And you know what could be interesting in this matchup? And I don't know if this will happen. But because of Malcolm Jenkins having played a ton of nickel corner in this league, and certainly with the Eagles, and coming into the league as an outside corner, yep. um, you wonder if that could change. You know, you wonder if uh, one of the things as the Eagles, you know, look to this matchup and know that they've got to make some adjustments based on what happened the last time, is if they could make an adjustment and maybe, maybe with Kamara, who knows? Maybe they feel like we can put a corner on him because Malcolm Jenkins can can do so many things well it's funny you say that because that's one of the things i was keeping an eye on i think they i think the bears were an empty i want to say it was seven or eight times right and a, f- a handful of those times cohen was number empty, one to cohen the boundary. was number one to the boundary just like the saints do with kamara and they had a receiver like i think it was alan robinson, robinson most of the time was lined up inside so it was perfect and i was getting to the point where i'm like oh man like this is going to be a segment on Eagles right. game plan and teaser it's it's going to be an eagles right game plan right right uh but when you look at that and you say all right how do the eagles line up they didn't put Jenkins over Cohen. Most of the time when they lined up that way, it was a corner over right. Cohen, and it was Jenkins on the receiver on the inside. Yeah, so right. Jenkins lined up on Allen Robinson. I'll be interested to see if they decide and, to go and, that route. And Michael Thomas is a great receiver. We know that. But he's a great receiver in a certain kind of way. He's not a twitchy, explosive athlete. Yeah, right. So Malcolm Jenkins, my guess is the Eagles would feel that Malcolm Jenkins, if they were in man, could play him. Yeah, and – uh, you know, I think when you look at that and you say, okay, what did the Eagles do last time? Last time, the Eagles made it a point. They said even with that, because they were, remember, that was, at that point, they were very depleted in the secondary. Uh, I mean, they know, were playing with Bosby. Bosby and, was playing. And yeah, Chandler Sullivan. Chandler Sullivan was playing, exactly. And, you know, that was the game. Avante Max got hurt, so he got right, hurt. Right, right, right. I mean, they were, they were very shorthanded. But they wanted to make a point. You know what? We're going to play man coverage, but we are taking a, we're going to try and take away Michael Thomas, and we're going to try and take away Alvin Kamara. They played a lot of man in that game, and they played and yeah. they doubled those guys. They, there were times where they were vicing Michael Thomas at the line of scrimmage right. with two defenders. Right. I mean, they they wanted to make a point. I wonder if it, like they could go back to that. They could try and go with they, with what right. they did in Chicago. It's going to be very interesting to see how they try and handle it. Well, that was at a stretch of the season where the Eagles' defense was clearly struggling. Yes. Um, and again, they were struggling for many reasons, some having to do clearly with personnel. Yep. But they're playing much, much better now. Yeah. I, one aspect of this past week's game that really stood out to me as well, the tackling in the secondary was really, really good against the Bears. So really, really good. And to me, that was an area, you know, you look at early in the season – because that, that had been a hallmark of this group the last three years. You know, going back, I should say the last two, the tackling in the secondary and really just on defense in general was very, very good. In 2017 and 2016 under Jim Schwartz, the tackling was very good. 
early in the season, there were a lot of missed tackles in the back seven, and that, and that resulted in a lot of big plays. The, the, it seems like they've kind of turned a corner there, and the guys that are playing right now are tackling at a high level, and that was certainly the case against Chicago. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, look, we've discussed him, I think, for the last two weeks, but I, think, I know he got burned a few times of Yep. And believe me, Drew Brees will notice that. And they'll go after him because he got burned on Sluggo, yep. which the Saints run. Yep, sure. And um, obviously he got burned on the out and up. Two double moves he got burned on yep. with Alvin Robinson. The of touchdown course. was out and up. Yep. So two double moves. They'll be very aware of that. They're, they they could line Thomas up over him and they could run slant flat and make him have to defend the slant with you know Robinson's big body because the Eagles, they play Maddox on the left, Douglas on the right. So you... you the Saints can dictate the matchup of Michael Thomas on Avanta Maddox if they choose to. Of course. I mean, of course. which they will, by the way. Well, that's the one thing they do really well is, I shouldn't say the one thing, one of the things they do very well is that they, they certainly dictate to offense, or to defense. Correct. Yeah, they find a way to dictate. Let's talk about the rest of this group. Well, actually, before we even get to the rest of the pass catchers, I mean, we probably should talk about Drew Brees just from a, a you know, skill set standpoint, what he's doing, how he's playing. What does he look like on the back half of the year after since we've last seen him here in Philadelphia? You know, I think their offense struggled a bit for a stretch there, and I think uh, I think Breeze was not quite as sharp as he was through the first. Oh, what what week was the Eagles game? Eleven, eleven maybe. Yeah, week ten, week eleven, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I mean that was at the point where Breeze was playing at a super high level. He struggled a little bit. I think they're starting to get back to not quite where they were, but they're sure. better. Yep. Um, I think we all know about Breeze. There's one guy I think I need that needs to be mentioned, and that's Ted Ginn. Yes. Because Ted Ginn, when he Didn't was play out. the last time. He was on IR. He was yeah. on IR, and he missed most of the season. And contrary to what people believe, they we've talked about Thomas and Kamara, really good players. Yep. Beyond that, there, there was nobody on that offense that defensive coordinators, I guarantee, were saying, we better stop this guy. They're not a highly talented offense. They didn't have a vertical dimension. Yep. They they were not, you know, people just automatically assume because Drew Brees is so great. Oh, man, this offense has so much talent. They didn't. Ted Ginn gives them a vertical dimension that is absolutely critical to what they do. Yeah, it really helps open things up yep. in the intermediate area. Uh, and helps, I mean, look, you look at the rest of that receiving core. Traquan Smith, Austin Carr, Cameron Meredith, uh, Dan Arnold, Ben Watson, Josh Hill. Not exactly household names. No. So when you no. have a guy like Ginn and you have those other dynamic matches, And I have too much press. respect for players and coaches to say they're guys. I just would make the point that I don't think that defense – I don't think Jim Schwartz is, is designing his defense to take away those players. So when you look at this from a uh, – now in the trenches standpoint, because I'll tell you, the, the big thing over the last month has been that this Eagles defensive line has – for the most part, wrecked games. I mean, they have controlled the line of scrimmage on defense. They're capable of they're, that. Yeah, they're yes. very, very much so. And so when you look at this and you say, all right, how do they match up with the Saints offensive line? I would say this Saints O-line is one of the top five or six groups in the league. Really maybe solid better, Maybe better than that. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's it's a, a very good group, good group from, you know, from left tackle to right tackle. Yeah. Very, very good group. Uh, how do you like the matchup there overall? Or I should say, what intrigues you about yeah. the matchup? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it'll be a heavyweight battle. I think both units will have their moments. Yeah. The question is, for the Eagles, can their moments create big plays? Can Correct. they sack Breeze? You know, can they can they cause a fumble? Can they get enough pressure on Breeze to make him have to throw it before he wants to and maybe 
you know, put it up for grabs. I think Breeze is a guy that if you're if you're able to get him, if you're able to pressure him right in his face, if you can get that interior Without question. pressure, that's what you want right, as opposed to right, the edge pressure. Right. He wa- he wants to step up into the teeth of the rush and, and deliver. No question. If you know you want that, there should be no softness inside. No, and that's why the Saints have always felt to them, uh, and even though their tackles are very good right now, for years. They, the strength of their O line was in the interior O line yep. because they always felt that Drew could handle the edge rushers with mm-hmm. his movement within the pocket, but they wanted him to have room to move up in the pocket. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's to me is this is a big Fletcher Cox moment. Like you, you want right. Fletcher to come through in this game and the rest of those defensive yep. you want Jernigan and who didn't play in the last game uh, to kind of come through here. Um, trying to think if there's anything else in this matchup offensively and or, you know defensively for the Saints offense that's uh that's notable I don't think that there is but um if I think it's something I'll come back all right let's get to the Saints defense because a group that I would say common knowledge is oh you know they're you know it's not a great group but it's a it's a pretty fun group to watch on tape. It's yeah. a, a very aggressive group, a lot yeah. of man. A lot of man, a lot of press man. Yeah. Well, tell us yeah. your overall thoughts on this defense overhead. Very personnel-based. In other words, and I'm anxious then to see what they do in this given game against the Eagles, but normally they, they have almost two combinations. When they play base, Kurt Coleman is the safety with Marcus Williams. When they go to nickel, Kurt Coleman's not on the field, yep. and they bring in Von Bell. So it's a very distinct group. The question is, with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, How will they treat it? Will they put Coleman on the field? Coleman was never a great cover player, yep. but he's certainly not a very good one right now. Yep. So, you know, the Eagles, look, a lot of people thought the Eagles would play a ton of 12 personnel against the Bears because the, the, the common feeling was that, oh, the Bears hadn't faced hardly any 12 personnel all year, so how will they handle the Eagles' 12 personnel? And the Eagles didn't do that. The yep. Eagles went with 11 personnel. Yep. So here's another example where you could say, will the Eagles go with 12 and see how the Saints react. Mm. If they put Coleman out there and just play their normal base defense, then the Eagles might feel that we can attack Kirk Coleman and we've got some opportunities there. Yeah, I think that there will be opportunities to attack down the field overall yeah. in yeah. this game. You know, They have given up some big plays. They struggled early in the year. They've kind of bounced back a little bit, but you can certainly get after them in the passing game. The big thing is one, number one, and this should this is almost a broken record at this point. The Eagles have to deal with another really good rush. You know they yes. finished t- fifth in the league in sacks overall, third in the league in third down sacks. I mean Cam Jordan, Sheldon Rankins, very very good group. I mean those, those yes. two guys uh, together is a very very good duo. Uh, and then they're also excellent against the run. And this isn't a oh well they were always blowing people out, no one around the ball. No, like they're it's a good run. It's group It's a good as well. run it's defense a, a, against the run. They're very very good. You know, and I like their nickel defense because. I really like Alex Anzalone. Who only a, plays in nickel, doesn't really play in base, right? He'll play in, if it's true 4-3 base, he's, he's the— He does yes. play now. Okay, because yes. I don't think he was earlier in the year. Um, no, he did first, not. Yeah. He so did he, not. He, he, he does now. Okay. It's yep. Anzalone, Davis, and Klein okay. if they're in 4-3. Gotcha. But in uh, nickel, again, they have two nickels as well. If it's right. first yep. down nickel, it could be A.J. Klein and Demario Davis. Yeah. Anzalone plays in you know what I would call their pass nickel as opposed to their run right, nickel. Yep, sure. But he's I think he's had a really good second half of the season. He's very athletic. When they play man, he can match up to tight ends and he's he's not usually out athleted when he matches up. Yeah, local kid. Yeah. Yeah, Pennsylvania, no. right? That's right. Why missing? So yeah, uh, no, he's a, he's a very intriguing player. I would say he's probably their best linebacker. I know we spotlighted I think, him yeah, going in the last game. I think Davis though has had a good season for them. Demario yeah, Davis is a solid. Yeah. Solid. For, you're exactly right. 
Yeah. yeah. And, you know, really the the big thing, they've really struggled on third down. Uh, that's an Particularly area. Particularly the last – let's not counting the final game of the season, which didn't matter. Course, the right. previous six games, starting with the Eagles game, they've been terrible on third down on defense. And the Eagles, as we discussed, have been very, very good on third down. Yeah, so that's a, a matchup, a, a game within the game to keep an eye on. Anything else uh, – you're kind of feeling <clears throat> that you want to kind of hit on before because this is look it's a it's a big matchup it's the I would say this game's probably not going to be 48 to 7 uh, when they go down no, this is good this no. is a, a team two teams uh that are in very different stages of their uh their journeys now right. at this point I don't think look there's no way to predict let's say turnovers or special teams play yes. but I, the Eagles to me are not a team right now that's going to get blown out yep. I mean they can look blown out's a relative term if the game if the Saints are on their game, could the Eagles lose 31-17 and the score makes it look bad? They could, but they're, I don't think this is one of those games where at halftime it's 24-3. So what's the, what's the journey to victory? What's the route that the Eagles need to take to win this game in your mind? Um, that's a great question because the Eagles, to me, are a very – odd's not the right word, but I don't look at their offense as explosive, but yet – there are times they score points, and and I, I my sense is they're going to have to get to twenty seven or so to win this game. Would that would be great. my sense. Yeah. Um, the way I explained this game to my wife, I was you know we were just talking about right. games, and, and you know I said, look, last one in the last game, you wanted to score, or the Eagles needed to uh, to score a lot of points to win. This one, you want this defense to be able to show up in this game, and you know obviously, look, the the Saints are going to get theirs. Um, the, let's put it this way. The Saints have enough talent where any given week, and certainly with a week off and fine-tuning and tweaking some of their things, where they can put up 35 on anybody. Yep. I mean, they, they can do that. They haven't played that way over the last four or five weeks. So they look coming off the bye, too. Right. So, you know, I think the Eagles – I think the path to victory, you know, we don't want to go over every – of Every course. tactical nuance yes, again, of course. but I think the Eagles can win this game twenty-seven, twenty-three. Yep. They, that um, I don't think we're going to see a sixteen, fifteen game. Yeah, if we so, do, yeah. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, I would agree. It's going to be a fun one. I, uh, hey, same time at this time of year, they're all fun. And that's exactly you know. Right. That's I know that. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, Greg, we will uh, we'll be watching that here from the Novacare Complex, and then uh, you and I will get back together Monday, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about another Eagles win. Well, that means you Two won't be going to the Shrine football. Game. Uh, no, I, I, w- I would not be at the Shrine game. That's yeah. correct. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. I'm, I'm hoping I'm canceling some flights Sunday night. All right, Greg, well, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you here next week on Chalk Talk. Great stuff from Greg, and you could follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Overcast, wherever you listen to the show. Give us a rating. Leave us a comment. We got a great comment this week from Matt who left a five-star review and a question on our Apple podcast page. Here's the question. Last week, Greg talked about this Bears pass defense and how it blurred the lines between man and zone coverage. Can you explain what he meant? Well, Matt... Most zones that you kind of think of, and you, know, you think of, you know, when you played in high school, or if you play, you know, if you play on the playground, and a lot of zones that are still in the NFL and college football today, are spot dropping zone coverages. You know, drop back, get to your landmark, read the quarterback. Sometimes, uh, you know, you'll wind up with defenders 
they're just guarding grass. You know, they're getting to their spot in the in the the hook, or they're getting their spot into the flat. There's no receivers there threatening them, but they they're they're executing their assignment. They're where they need to be in zone coverage. Now, pattern matching is different because it's still zone coverage. Everybody still has their assignments, their areas of responsibility, but you are playing man within your zone coverage. And how you do that, how you pass off defenders from one guy to the next. That all kind of occurs within the structure and within the read of the play. So, you know, all of your defenders, they're reading pre-snap the alignment of the receivers. And they'll kind of know down and distance, personnel grouping. They have all this now. All the, the gears are turning in their head of what the play concept could be. And they have an idea what that play call will be. And then when they look at the releases, are they inside releases? Are they outside releases? Are they breaking towards the sideline? Are they breaking towards the middle of the field? Are they releasing vertically down the field? This will all help determine if a defender is going to pass off his wide receiver, if he's going to stay on his hip pocket, is he going to run with them, is he going to pass them off inside. So essentially, it looks like it's man, but defender because defenders are sticky to their guy and you know they're trying to follow him through the route, but they're still playing with zone coverage rules. So that's where it kind of clouds the the vision for the quarterback and it makes it tough to say, all right, are they playing man or are they playing zone? So that's where Greg kind of talks about, hey, you know, it's uh, it kind of blurs the lines. And honestly. If you check out a lot of the, uh, the the clips that I posted on my Twitter account of that Bears secondary last week, you'll see those guys breaking on throws, the route recognition, right? You saw that with uh, with Fuller. You saw it with Amukamara. You saw it with Eddie Jackson, Adrian Amos. That's all because of their pattern matching. They do so much work over the course of a week where they are studying a, a receiver's split and his location and the down and distance and the personnel grouping. And they know because teams have trends. This is, you know, that's the, especially this time of year, teams are where they are. They're not changing a whole lot going on from a week to week basis. So you have an idea, okay, if they line up a certain way with this personnel package and this down and distance, kind of have an idea it's going to be one of two or three or four plays and then you kind of play off of that and that's why you have guys breaking on throws and making things uh, look so easy in the secondary that has a lot to do with that pattern matching that the way that style of zone coverage so thank you Matt great question appreciate the comment thank you again for everybody out there listening each and every week and for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com all right let's keep this show going earlier I told you we would dive into the Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas we talked about him earlier in the show I'm going to reveal my notes on him coming out of Ohio State a couple of seasons ago. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Michael Thomas, 6'2 and 3 quarters, big kid, 212 pounds. He was Keyshawn Johnson's nephew, or he is Keyshawn Johnson's nephew, uh, the former number one pick out of USC, longtime Tampa Bay Buck and New York, uh, New York Jet, now obviously an analyst, I believe, with ESPN still. Michael Thomas lined up when he was at Ohio State, lined up mostly at X, at times at Z, so mostly on the outside, very few reps in the slot. So obviously uh, used a little bit differently with the New Orleans Saints because of how he's used and where he lines up. Uh, He improved his arsenal at the line of scrimmage in press coverage situations because I watched him his junior – his. Uh, his last season and also his uh, the season before that. So I watched him for two years, and I thought he really got better beating press coverage from I, I think it was his junior year to his senior year. While he's not explosive, he was twitchy, and he had some suddenness, especially for a guy his size. He had solid speed. He could get vertical and threaten defenders deep. Showed very good separation quickness. He could stop on a dime, flash good acceleration in and out of routes where he would break down, flash really good savvy as a route runner. But again, 
just flashes. And he showed that he knew how to work a guy's hips and use subtle moves to get himself open. He sold double moves really well. He'll step on a defender's toes and create space between himself and the DB. And he showed really good body control and sideline awareness to make tiptoe catches and athletic receptions in all areas of the field. I thought he adjusted really well to poorly thrown passes. And he used his body at the catch point to shield defenders. He would attack the ball at the highest point. Had very good hands. Very few drops on tape, especially early in his career. And I thought he was solid after the catch, especially considering his size. Now, the negative standpoint, he was not really explosive. He ran 4.57 at the combine, so that, that kind of carried out there. He did run 4.35 at the pro day, so I know a lot of the people that loved him pointed to that and said, oh, you know, see, he can still run. But on film, I didn't think he was really explosive, and I don't think he did, even today that he's necessarily an explosive deep threat. He did false step at times. That's always uh, a little bit of a, uh, a uh, turnoff for me from a receiver, but you know, my big thing was he was kind of a freestyler as a, as a route runner at times. And I mentioned that he, he flashed the ability to really create separation on his own, but he wasn't a really smooth or explosive in the terms of the way he ran. He was a little bit herky-jerky, and he would kind of find ways to get open. I thought he was a little bit lazy as a route runner at times coming from Ohio State, especially if he thought the play was going to the other side. He would just kind of jog through things. And, you know, there was not, I didn't see a guy that was constantly working on his craft I'll tell you, I obviously could not have been more wrong because he's one of the craftier route runners in the NFL right now and can work inside and outside. Um, you know, and he had a lot of drops in his final year, that final year at Ohio State. Five uh, unforced drops that I had charted. Um, so, the, you know, his hands were a little bit of an issue as well. I wrote down as my final summary, probably a better fit at X than at Z for an NFL team. Uh, Thomas has flashes, and I have some questions about his hands and ultimate athleticism. I think he's got the potential to be a solid possession receiver at the next level, but probably nothing more than that. And I would say there's some bust factor there. His size and lack of real explosiveness or athleticism reminded me a little bit of Dwayne Bowe, but I thought the way he moved reminded me of Nelson Aguilar, though I thought – Nelson was a bit cleaner as a route runner coming out of USC and was much better after the catch at that point in their career. Now, I had Thomas as my 10th wide receiver in that class, behind Will Fuller, uh, behind Laquan Treadwell, who actually wasn't a top five wide receiver for me uh, either in that class. A lot of people had him as wide receiver one. My top five wide receivers in that class were Tyler Boyd uh, coming out of Pitt, Corey Coleman from Baylor, Josh Doxson from TCU, Farrow Cooper from South Carolina, uh, who obviously has not panned out, and then Sterling Shepard from Oklahoma went to the New York Jet or New York Giants. So clearly I was happy to see Boyd come into his own this season. I really liked him coming out of Pitt, but I definitely whiffed on Thomas. And to me, I think the the big thing that I saw you know, I was really turned off. You know, the, I just thought that he, as a route runner, he was just very, very inconsistent. And that's an area where he has really become much more consistent. Uh, he's looked really, really good as a route runner. His ability to be used within the structure of that scheme, I think, uh, has really helped him as well. You know, Sean Payton has really helped bring him along. Obviously, obviously from a production standpoint, uh, he's been very, very good there. And working with Drew Brees has certainly helped him. But uh, definitely a guy that I should have been a little bit higher on coming into his draft class. So something, you know, something I'll learn from uh, moving forward there, especially at the wide receiver position. All right, great stuff this week from Greg Cosell. All of you out there listening as well, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, all the different places you can listen to us. Of course, that also means PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one more time, take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well. I would love the ability to answer it here on the show. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.